Platforms have reached another inflection point. Most, if not all, major advice platforms have upgraded their technology now as the calls from advisors grow louder for better integration and more easily attainable routes to data. This means platforms theoretically have the tools they need to now truly start innovating for advisors. Meanwhile, a number of customised platform providers have emerged, all offering slightly different services, but the onus being generally the same, which is to encourage advice firms to invest more money and time in technology and take on more risk by owning their own platform. There are benefits to both of these models, but it's unclear how advisor appetite will evolve over the next 10 years, which is why I have two experts from both these ends of the market with me today to dig deeper into this. I'm Ruby Hinchliffe, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and here with me today I have Andrew Back, Chief Commercial Officer at Maltrees, and David Tiller, Commercial and Propositions Director at Quilter. To start off with, I'm going to ask both of you guys a starter for 10 question. Um, David, I'm going to come to you first. Advised platforms have evolved a fair bit over the last two decades, but as we all know, the windows of evolution are getting shorter and shorter. How do Quilter and other platform providers need to evolve in order to remain relevant in the decades to come? Uh, thanks, Ruby. Um, yeah, I think in order to be agile, you you need to put your platform together in the right way. And I think um, a lot of platforms have been held back by uh, old legacy technology and um, poor plumbing, effectively, if, if you want a simple way of describing it. There's a need for innovation, uh, particularly around the, the front-end um, parts of the platform and some of the application layers. I think, however, uh, we should also look at some of the, the robust heavy lifting which platforms do. And actually, you know, in many ways, platforms have been getting the custody and record-keeping bits solid and safe. And we all require that because the credibility of our market and, and the whole of the financial sector depends on it. But the big battle, I think, in the future will be around integrations. Um, in truth, I think, as a, as a market, we have shown a lot of innovation, but a lot of innovation within our own swim lanes, um, Every part of the value chain has innovated, but they've innovated within quite a narrow scope. And I think, as you say, we're at an inflection point because now the only way we're really, really going to make a difference for customers is to innovate across the value chain and get out of a siloed thinking and start thinking about how the things fit together. How do we integrate different technologies together how do we integrate different parts of the the end-to-end -end solution? To deliver anything for a customer, you, you need to start with having clear understanding of what the customer wants. You need to have a good solution which actually matches to what they want, and you need to have the technology that pulls that solution together with the customer in a way that the customer recognises. And the only way you can do that is to join things together. So I think, actually, agility uh, comes from the way you build your platform. Uh, I see platforms in three layers. The base layer is the custody and record keeping. The next layer is what I would call an application layer or an app store. And the front end is the interfaces which the customer and advisors interface with to enter information or to, to pick information out of the platform. I think we will see a lot of agility around front ends. They're easy to change. They don't have, if you like, regulated records sitting in them. So 
we will see a lot of movement there. But I think also, crucially, we need to see a lot of improvements around the application layer and integrations. And so that's that's the area of focus. Um, I think the platforms which will be able to do it are the ones which have actually sorted out their foundations. Platforms are a bit like building tower blocks. If you ever go around the city of London where they're forever building new tower blocks, you realise that it takes them two years to build the foundations and about three months to put up the tower block itself. If the platforms haven't put the foundations in, they're not going to be able to innovate in the application and front-end layers. Yeah, David, I think I think a lot of those things are, are things that a lot of platforms will have sort of top of mind at the moment. Um, and I I want to come now to, to Andrew um, just to sort of get that balanced view of, of other sorts of, of innovation going on. I mean, um, Andrew, feel free to come back on some of what David said, but I, I also wanted to ask you, um, customised platforms are, are being heeded by providers like yourself as a sort of next generation of platforms. Um, so it's another sort of offshoot of this innovation. But It'd be good to know, sort of, you know, is the industry really ready for this? Advisors train and study to be advisors. They might ask, should I really be turning my my firm into a tech startup? Sure. Well, well thanks, Ruby, and good morning, everyone. And uh, yeah, just to just to um, briefly respond to David's point there, um, you know, I, I don't see this as 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 David's part of the market versus our part of the market. My my background is is over twenty years in the retail platform industry, so I, I think there's absolutely a space for that type of platform. Um, I just think there's a, a new emergence for certain types of advisors that is, that's coming out now. And to your point there, Ruby, I think. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and and first of all, no, I don't think advisors should be becoming tech startups. Absolutely not. And if I think about the conversations in the market that we have with advisors, there's very, very few that, that actually truly want to build their own platform because it is a, a massive undertaking and, 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 and a lot bigger than people realise. But what I do think is coming through is that uh, advisor firms have probably had to fit around the platform in the past. So in the platform industry, you've, you've, you've broadly got three main engines, GB. ST, FNZ and, and Bavura and they are one size fits all and, and, and they work really really well they, that you get to scale like that but it does mean that the advisor firm really has to fit around that 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 core engine uh, what advisor firms are saying to us is that they actually want more in the way of, of three things really first of all control they want more control of, of, of what the platform looks like and how it behaves uh, they want more flexibility maybe in, in, in the way that they deploy their charges or they do their client reporting uh, and they want some form of personalization and they want that personalization at scale um, and a lot of this has been in place in the institutional space for some time, and we now think that the the, the certain part of the of the advisor market is, is is now ready for this, and certainly that's the, the demand we're seeing. So, so in summary, we don't think advisors should be tech startups. Mm. Um, we think what we should be providing is that technology, but also allied to service. And I'll talk a bit about more about that uh, a bit later on. Yeah, and, and we can sort of dig more into kind of the types of advisors that suit that that sort of solution as well, because I think that'd be interesting to look at. Because whilst we do talk about advisors generally, there are are so many different types of advisors that have different needs and um, need, dif- you know, yeah, because of the size and, and and the sorts of clients that they work with. So I think that's a, an important distinction to make. You're right. Um, well, I want to sort of jump on to, to the next part of the discussion now. Um, and I'm going to come come back to you, David. Feel free again to, to pick up on anything that Andrew said. But um, I wanted to ask, advisors often say they'll, they'll stick with the platform even if they don't like it. Um, because it's sort of quote unquote a nightmare to switch platforms. Um, why is it so hard? Will it get easier in the future? And if so, what would this mean for platform competition? I really do hope it gets easier in the future. And um, I, 
I believe it will, but um, there are a number of challenges uh, and um, many of which have been debated at length. Uh, On one side, you've got the the technical challenges with migrating assets across. Um, I think in many ways, we are seeing that beginning to get easier. Um, Thanks to work from the likes of Star, Orgo, Altus, um, moving assets is not quite as difficult as it once was, but I mean, there's still challenges, there's still friction in, in that process. Um, in species transfers is a challenge, uh, an expensive and, and uh, prolonged process, um, and fun, the fund groups really need to buy into that uh, more, in my opinion. Um, also, not necessarily every party um, is that great at facilitating uh, the process. So, yeah, it's it, there are some technical challenges. Having said that, I do believe we will get through those. I think perhaps the bigger challenge is around advisor processes and capacity and uh, needing to, uh, if you like, facilitate the transfer through uh, individual advice uh, across a, a large number of clients. Advisors in the UK are busy um, and they are not seeking additional things to do. And um, this is a real challenge for them uh, to, to provide individual advice to move clients across um, and then to execute that. And uh, that, that puts an overhead into advice businesses and they've got to be really, really convinced that the, the value is worth it. And um, I think... Again, that's an area where we need to look at um, and and be prepared to look at a population of customers rather than individual customers. And, you know, we've had conversations with the regulator about that sort of thing, and many people have. Um, I think there's not necessarily an in-principle objection, but the practical reality of making sure customers are protected will always come to the fore. Having said all of that, I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, we're, we're actually getting books come to us from some other big competitors, uh, but it doesn't tend to come as a single lump. You get a redirection of new business flows, and then as review meetings come up, advisors will then move clients across. So it becomes a much more gradual process than it, it might be. But that means the disruption and impact on advice, uh, advice businesses is less. And, and potentially, I think we're, we're going to be with that for a little longer yet. And so do, do you feel like advisors don't mind it being a longer process as long as the disruption is less? Because you could argue that, that it being a long process in itself is a, is a type of disruption. Or, or do you find that that's not how they, they see it? No, no, you know, you are right. Um, I, I think particularly the, the, the disruption comes to the central investment proposition they're running often because you end up running money potentially on two platforms which have slightly different processes and, and so you create overhead. The, it may be impossible, for example, to uh, run model portfolios that are absolutely identical, which you, you potentially would like Um so, so there are there are challenges for advisor businesses. Um, so, uh, no, I think I think advice businesses would like to be able to do it cleanly. But uh, whilst we are in position, it's got to be individual advice. Then I think 
often you see the gradual approach is the pragmatic one. Got you, got you. Um, and Andrew, I, want, I wanted to come come to you. I might actually ask you a question off the back of what David said, just around sort of migrations and and from from the standpoint you are in the market. Um, what are some of the things you can sort of get around being a more customized platform when it comes to the pain that kind of comes with with migrations and and also sort of transfers when people are sort of coming in or off off of a, a platform at, at a provider like Maltries? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, Ruby. So uh, I think. I mean, the first thing to say is that migrations are hard, but but they're not impossible. And w- with the way we work, we, we, we work in broadly two channels. So as well as the advisor community, we also work in the private client channel, including some institutional clients. I think what we see there is that f- f- for two reasons, slightly different permissions and also a lack of the need for suitability, that, that migrations can be incredibly quick and straightforward. I mean, we've had examples of businesses migrating assets to us literally over a weekend. Um, so so there's definitely some learnings from that part of the market that we're able to apply to the advisor channel. Um, but without doubt, the advisor channel has got a few more, more challenges in, in doing that. Um, and I think I, I would break it down into to two parts, really. One is is the planning of the migration, and the second is is the actual action and the activity. And on that second bit, the action activity, I completely agree with David in that I think the fund groups could be doing more to um, to to help this process and 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 make it you know for the benefit of the end consumer, which of course is what it's all about. So I definitely agree with David there. But I think on the planning side, that's where one can make it a little bit more streamlined, actually. So so what what we tend to find with our institutional experiences is that that the level of planning is 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 a lot greater than 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 I've personally experienced in the retail market. So that's not to say that retail platforms don't have migration teams, but I think the level of planning that goes into a more institutional move is 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 vastly more. So so there'll be a, a dedicated project manager, there'll be business analysts, there'll be scoping workshops, you know, lots and lots and lots of planning. Um, and what what you can boil that down to is is helping the advisor firm also with sort of experiences of other migrations. So so maybe we do it in tranches. So, so rather than having to do it all over a weekend, which is pretty impossible when there's suitability and individual advice, but rather than either one extreme being over a weekend or another extreme being over a year or two, what we can do is say, all right, let, let's 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 plan this over three, three, four months or so by doing it in tranches. And that's proved to be very effective in the advisor space. We've, we've done we've done several of these now. And, and, and I think I think, you know, we, we're finding we're getting quicker and quicker all the time. Oh, that's good, and, and I know sort of David. I'm sure would um, would have checked in here, but like the quilter, I think, also did it in tranches. The the migration that you guys um, sort of completed, um, sort of relatively recently. I know that you did it over a period of tranches, um, but I, I can see how, depending on the scale at which you're doing it, those tranches will take longer. Um, whereas if you're just doing it for one firm, it will take a short amount of time. So I guess it it depends on the amount that you're moving, um, but but. Andrew, I, w- I wanted to dig in a bit more to, to sort of the the nature of Moultrie. So, so the appeal of your your offering seems to depend on the, the size of the firm. Um, so, so I know you're going after some more of the enterprise market, um, which sort of has the time and resources. Um, but we're hearing, you know, from smaller firms, which make up sort of the mass majority of the the UK IFA market, that the sort of appetite perhaps doesn't run so so deep. What what do you what do you say to that? Yeah, I think that's right, Ruby. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know. As I mentioned at the start, I strongly believe that there's a place in the advisor market for both the traditional retail type 
platform and the new emerging, more customised um, option that, that, that we're delivering. So I think there's room for both. And I think for certain firms, and it might be size, but there are other factors as well, then then possibly this customised route isn't the right way to go. And I think it's, it's fine to, to recognise and, 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 and say that. Um, what we tend to find, based on our experience, is that in the advisor market, there's probably three core things that, that make a, a partnership work, in our view. That The first of those is... It, is is frankly it is size you know in terms of AUM just just because what that then means is that a firm tends to have a bit more operational depth you know because it's, it's slightly larger it has dedicated ops people um, and and just the people to, to to get involved with the project on on, on quite a you know on quite a detailed basis so so that that is a factor I think secondly quite a deep technological awareness and I, and I agree with David's earlier point about integration and maybe we'll come back to that but but a, a techni- technological awareness where the firm is saying right we recognize that to, to grow ourselves to get scale we need technology to do that so there's a real operational stroke technology awareness there is the second thing and I think the third thing is is a centralized investment proposition of of some description whereby the firm is is basing it around a house view and a common consistent view across their advisors and and often that will include discretionary permissions and and, and maybe they've got a, a separate investment management arm to the business but it's, it's really those three characteristics that I think shape the type of advisor firm and as I say it, it won't be right for for all firms. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. And and I'll come back to you, David, and, and feel free to pick up on anything um, Andrew said. But I wanted to, to ask you, um, so most of the, the largest platforms sort of remain owned by, by product providers, be that, you know, yourselves, Aberdeen, Aegon, um, Nucleus was, was the sort of great hope for disruption, but now it's it's owned by James Hay. So where is the disruption coming from now in the advised platform provider market now that the sort of build your own platform crowds like Andrews at Maltries and, and Seckle, um, some of other, other the providers, since they've come in, is that part of the innovation and, or disruption? Where is it coming from now? It's, it's a good question. And, and in fact, there's a question in my mind about how uh, disruptive Nucleus really was. I, I think in, in some ways it was, but in, in other ways, not so much. I mean, Nucleus was more disruptive in terms of its business model than it was in terms of the customer functionality and, and actually what, what the investor got in the end. So, you know, it, it, Nucleus positioned itself as the advisor-owned platform Um and ultimately, you know, that the SEA decided it didn't really like advisors having influence over platforms and uh, backed away from that and ultimately uh, got, got subsumed. Um, but that's not, that's not an uncommon model. I mean, often innovation comes from smaller businesses where uh, people have new ideas. Um, these businesses are often more niche in their characteristics, and um, you know the market is is a broad church. There's a lot of different people with different requirements, and we, we, we've got to recognise that. Um, I do think, however, you know what you will see is uh, uh, the, the mainstream platforms, if you like, will become more flexible over time. Will offer more choice once they get their technology sorted out. So, you know, there's some of the names you mentioned are in the midst of major technology projects. So they are probably not going to do in the short term. I'm pleased to say we've we've passed that. So we, we have a lot of uh, interesting stuff coming uh, in the next year or two. But I, I think um, disrupt, disruption is... Um, 
an interesting word. I mean, I think the market gets disrupted periodically by um, events, and you know, with, with, whether it's regulation RGR. Um, PS31, which banned rebates or effectively made it, it difficult to do rebates, created quite a lot of disruption. Obviously, COVID uh, demanded the move to much more digital interfaces very rapidly. Uh, something actually all platforms did remarkably well in the end. Um, I think I think where where it is for me is back to this integration point um, and. To, to innovate, platforms need to see themselves not necessarily as islands and see it themselves as part of a wider ecosystem to support advisors and understand that and appreciate it. So there's you know, work you can do in terms of what you embed in terms of integrations on your own platform, um, if you like the concept of a platform app store. There's also integrations through third parties like Oracle's Integration Hub, which uh, allows um, uh, separate processes, whether it's back office, whether it's DFM portfolio management processes, to feed in and out of the platform in a secure, seamless fashion. And I think we will see both building out in the future. That is, I suppose, the, the analogy would be, you know, whether Android or Apple uh, uh, app stores, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of innovation uh, within those environments, but the the core stability is, is it remains unchanged, and and in a world which is uncertain, that stability has real value. And you know, it, there is actual value in platforms being run by um, strong institutions which can invest heavily in security and authentication, um, which clearly in today's world is, is, is something we're all concerned about. Sure. Um, and I, I think from from what you're saying, David, there's some of the disruption is, is going to be coming from these in-between providers um, that, that sort of help to improve that sort of more front office experience, like you said, through, through integration. Um, so I know that's something you, you were sort of alluding to earlier as well. Um, Andy, but before I um, kind of ask another question for both of you, did you want to come back on any of that stuff about disruption and what you're seeing from your, your point of view? Sure. Thanks, Ruby. Yeah. And I think, again, agree with David that, that, that the core of, of platform services is is the base custody and, and safekeeping of assets. And, and, and we should not lose sight of that, you know, in amongst everything else that that, that that is really important. But in terms of the word disruption, I mean, if one looks at the dictionary definition, it actually says radical change. And, and, and my view of the platform market, certainly in the UK, is that it's been more like gradual evolution rather than rather than, you know, sudden step change at any point in time. And I think that the two key points were, you know, UK fund supermarkets came in in the early early 2000s. You then had open architecture wraps at the end of the, that decade. And, and that was the first real change, I think, moving from, from rebates and fund supermarkets to, to more transparency and, and, and wider investment universes. Um, but I think we're now at that next evolution stage where, where customization is, is much more at the heart of, of platforms. So I think it's evolution rather than, rather than revolution and radical change. Um, and... You know the, the 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 whole the whole sort of future I think is is on actually as David says that 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 front end can be can be quite 
quite easily manipulated. It's more the back-end processes that I think are, are ripe for, for some evolution. So, so for example, bringing in things like machine learning and robotics so that so the, the processing at the back-end becomes even slicker, and, and, and that should encompass things like migration as we as we encompass you know, the movement of assets from platform to platform. So, so I, I, I hope and I believe that a lot of that innovation sometimes will be behind the scenes, but, but for the overall good of, of the end consumer. Sure. Um, no, I think that, that's interesting. I think you're right to make that distinction between, I think we use the word disruption probably too much sometimes and actually deconstructing what that means and, and using other words is sometimes a bit more, more helpful. Um, I wanted to, to ask both of you um, sort of more just your opinion, really. Um, I think sort of through through time, sort of we've seen that the, the platform model can be a tricky one to operate on its own. Um you know, ensuring it's profitable as an individual sort of entity. Um, and I was wanted to ask you both, just sort of, do you think, especially looking sort of to the next ten years, should platforms sort of stick to being platforms, or should they offer the service? Do you think that that's a potential for the future of of platforms, David? I'll come to you first. Uh, yeah, um, I I remember some years ago um, some. Sage consultant coming in and telling uh, uh, the platform business I was working with at the time that uh, all the value sits in advice and investment and platforms are going to just get squeezed to smaller and smaller margins. Um, and, of course, that that's because they started with a product view of a platform Um rather than actually seeing platform what it is, is just facilitating technology. And it it is interesting. If you squeeze a bit of the value chain, it will go and find opportunities to apply its skill sets somewhere else. And if you like, I would point to managed portfolio services. Discretionary CIPs on platforms is an example of where every platform has moved out of that simple administration uh, of tax wrappers uh, and custody and record keeping into doing the administration around discretionary portfolios. And I think that has been a really good thing. I think customers have got uh, increased choice, uh, increased transparency around their investment. And, and so I think to, to suggest platforms shouldn't go beyond uh, their boundaries, I think would be absolutely stifling to innovation, uh, would lead to perpetuation of siloed thinking, which would hold back the industry um, and arguably has held back the industry for a long time. There, there's probably a, 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 a subtext to your question about should platforms be earning revenues uh, uh, for other activities such as discretionary investment management, uh, I, I think I, I think to be honest, as long as services stand on their own two feet and are actually competitive and add value to the end customers, I, I, I think that's fine. And so it's it's really down to whether the business does it properly um, and does it in the customer's interest rather than. Um, if you like, exploits an opportunity for the business's advantage. I think there's lots of good examples where we have seen that sort of development. And, and quite frankly, we we also see it in other sections of the market. So, you know, all the data providers are now running managed portfolios, for example. So whether it's Financial Express or Morningstar or Square Mile, they now not only can 
make recommended uh, um, asset allocations and fund selections, they'll actually put the portfolio together for you. Um, so I think it's a natural evolution. Um, I, I think at the core, though, with any sort of vertical integration, the key is it must be in the customer's interest. And um, it's something, I think, if, as long as the customer is in the centre um, and they get a really good outcome, then we should applaud innovation of all sorts. Thanks, David. And, and Andrea, I want to come to you um, lastly on this. What, what's your view of this? Should platforms stick to being platforms or, or should they offer other services? Sure. Well, well, I think, in again, in the, the mainstream stroke retail platform space, we're seeing that happening, aren't we, that, that um, platforms are branching out into discretionary investment services. And, and I actually think that's probably a good thing for the end consumer. And the reason I think that is because it can help subsidise the platform costs for the group overall and bring the platform costs down a little bit because there's other revenue streams coming in. So that's a good thing for the consumer. And probably, if we're honest, in the retail platform space, prices do need to come down because in the institutional stroke customised space, they're arguably about half the cost. You know, our prices are arguably about half the cost of the retail platform market so so that that would be my view on, on other services for us personally we, we are we, we're very determined to stick to our core capabilities which is really custody trading and settlement providing that that core service but then the digital uh, overlay on top of that so helping wealth managers get very personalized services so we think we can be much better in sticking to that core competency um for for, for our particular space Interesting. Okay, well, thank you both. I think that is all we've got time for today. Um, I just want to thank listeners for for tuning in. Do do come back soon, and and we've got some some other great topics uh, in in the pipeline that we'll be discussing with lots of more brilliant guests. But I want to say massive thank you to to Andrew and a massive thank you to David for for joining us today. Um, but for now, it's goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.